So I'm Johnny Caruso. I'm the uh, other student pastor, and I just want to take a moment to speak to some of the parents. Uh, For some of you, it's the last one. Some of you, it's the only one. Some of you, it's the first one. Um, And some wonderful things happen. Uh, We, if they've participated in 180 in our youth group, we have tried to strongly, strongly, strongly teach God's Word. We figure that is the only thing that's not going to return void. Um, That is the only thing that we can pin everything on. I mean, something wonderful, and some of you have had this happen to you before with other children, um, they leave, they, a couple months you saw the video, and by the way, if you didn't see the video last week, it, that list video was a continuation of that. So the same little girl from Mother's Day was the girl that graduated, which is pretty awesome. Um, now you're going to have to come back and see it again, so anyway. Um, but they, a, a transformation happens. Um, those who thought they were smarter than everybody else all of a sudden start realizing they're not that smart. And they start calling home and asking for advice and things they should do and things that, where they should not do. Um, And they start to become your friend. Um, That's cool. They're still your children. They're always going to be your children, but they become friends. And not so much I'm telling you what to do, but more like let's discuss it. Um, And that's just pretty awesome. This is my 20th graduation at First Baptist. Um, me and Trish started when I was 25. Not, not really, not really. Um, um, and so uh, I won't tell you how old I was, but I was old then, and this 20 years ago. Um, kind of a, a, a sad note, um, because in a couple weeks, I kind of officially switch over to being pastor of evangelism and outreach. And so I do, hopefully, what I have done with the students, we start doing with the adults. Um, difference is we can kind of tell them what to do, and we've got to get a rope around your neck and drag you with us to do it. So a little bit different. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about some things. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts in 180. Uh, for a long, long time, uh, probably a little over a year, or I think through chapter, Larry Ashworth's over there teaching this morning um, in chapter 16. And so I was just going to do a continuation because I'm handled a little bit different. And if you know me, you, I, I do very small bites of the word at a time, sometimes only two or three verses, sometimes 10 verses, but that's all because we want to do it justice. This morning, we're going to do it different because we're going to approach it differently. Um, so Paul and Silas, you saw the video, excellent video. Thank you, Brian, for doing that. You saw the video and we're to the point where Paul and Silas have taken the letter from the Jerusalem council. And I love history. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of it. Taken the letter from the Jerusalem council and basically gone off on his second missionary journey. And he, he starts off, um, to do that, taking the letter around to the Gentiles and the Jews to tell them what John, the pastor of of the Jerusalem church, said. And he basically said, hey, you don't got to be circumcised to be a Christian. You don't have to become a Jew to accept Christ. That's basically what the letter said in my small encapsulation. And so we get to the point where they're on their way to the synagogues, and their rule was every time they went into a city, they went straight to the synagogue and they taught. And if they were asked to stay, they taught more, more weeks. 
If not, usually if not asked to stay, they were run out of town. Um, And so you'll see that in a couple of the verses. And I've got a lot of scripture to read. So we're going to start off in, um, in, I just got lost here. We're going to start off in chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse... I want to make sure I'm right here. We're going to start in verse 13, and it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate of the riverside, and we were supposed to, uh, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had gathered there. One who heard us uh, was a woman named Lydia and from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart and to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, person number one I want us to see is Lydia. So, uh, that's your first little mark there. Um, now, there are certain characteristics about Lydia that we need to talk about because it relates to you. And if it doesn't relate to you, it relates to people that you know. And so the very first characteristic of hers, the fact is that she was li- li- religious. So she was at the waterside, supposedly a place of prayer, and she was with a lady doing Bible study. So uh, Beth, first century Beth Moore videotape put in, and they're doing Bible study, okay? The second thing about her, she was morally conservative. And so you can tell by the fact that she was not, and I'm going to say this, this is, remember, first century. She was not approaching men. She was not supposing herself on them. She was with the ladies teaching a Bible study. So she was morally conservative that way. The third thing is she was wealthy. So she not only, she was, um, she was uh, with, from Thyatira, but she was in Philippi. So she was wealthy. She was a seller of purple goods, purple cloth, which was very valuable. And so she was very wealthy. And the fourth thing uh, that I want you to see about her is she was looking for the Lord. She didn't know she was looking for the Lord. And so how does that relate to you? Well, there's some of you that probably came to Vacation Bible School all of your lives. And then you started going to church and you got married or you're not married yet and you're still going to church and you're listening to the sermon every Sunday morning and you're hearing Pastor Jeff or whoever it is up there uh, sharing the word. The problem is you have not taken that step yet from death to life. Now, some people would go, oh no, everybody that comes to First Baptist Church are Christians, right? Well, they kind of look that way. But have they really, really, really stepped forward and laid their yes down and their life changed forever? Have they really done that? Now, we're going to be participatory this morning. Students are used to this sometimes. Adults, you're not. So, here's what I want you to do. If you are Lydia, or you can relate to Lydia, or, I'm trying to make it easy for you, you know somebody that's like Lydia. Raise your hand. Oh, thank you. The first service just wouldn't do this. Okay. So person number two. And you're going to go, oh, no, this isn't me. Verse 16, they were going to a place of prayer. It's interesting, two times now they're going to a place of prayer. 
And they made a slave girl who had a a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain and fortune telling. And she followed Paul uh, and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim you the way of salvation, which gosh, a billboard behind you shouting that would be awesome, I think, but maybe not so much. Um, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I, I just love God's word because it, it's, it, it's the words I would say. In my house, Trish would say, you're getting on my last nerve. He said, became greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that there was hope for, uh, that their hope for gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. So person number two is the slave girl. Now you may say, I wasn't demon possessed. And I would say, Really? I was. If I didn't have God's spirit living inside me, what did I have living inside me? Matthew chapter 12 says this about divination of spirits. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking but finds none. And it says, I will return to the house where I came. And when it comes and finds the house empty, swept and put in order, it goes and brings with it, seven other spirit, evil spirits with it, and they entered and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also, it is with an evil generation. So bottom line is, a lot of people would argue whether the slave girl actually is a Christ follower, but I would say this. The next verse down, it says that their, her owners did not get any gain from her. And the reason why they did it any gain because a different spirit, the spirit of Christ now lived inside of her and she wasn't fortune telling anymore. And so she became a church of First Baptist Philippi or whatever they did back then. So number two, person number two, you get to raise your hand again. Now, I'm not gonna ask if you were demon possessed, okay? Although some of you may relate to that. How many of you know somebody, or you are, or you were, involved in addictions? Don't, 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 let me finish, because no one's going to say I'm a drug addict, right? Involved in addictions, or involved in really, really, really dark spaces spiritually, to the point whether you invited it in or it was brought into you, to the point where you did not serve God. Raise your hand. Oh, you may know someone like that. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to find out later. I'm kind of a combination of these people. And so the spirit doesn't come back with the seven friends because there's a someone in that space and she joins the church. Person number three. And I, I don't know, but when you hear this guy, you're going to go, yeah, that was you. Um, but so they were taken in the marketplace and they were beaten and they were pushed around and they were punched and they were dragged around. And then they said this um, in verse 23, it says, and they had inflicted many blows upon him and they were thrown into prison, um, ordering the jailer to keep them, I want you to get this part, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, okay? Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Stop right there. The jailer. Pretty interesting guy. Now, my son-in-law is a Marine. 
And uh, he doesn't, although he's been deployed several times. I have seen several men who serve our country who come back with what we have recently pinned in the last 10 years as post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that happened, that was a long time ago too. I don't think that was just all of a sudden. I think when people in their lives are put into situations that are horrifying and horrific and, and you can't control those things because someone's in command over you and you do those things to gain our freedom in our country and to gain a win for the war, when you're put into those situations, these kind of things happen to people and they can't face it. They don't know what to do with the emotions. Well, this jailer guy, historically, a jailer was a person who was a Roman soldier who had retired from service, and because of his service and because he served his country, they put them in the job of being a jailer during his retirement. And so this guy's a soldier. Now, let me share the characteristics because I think some of you will say yeah to this. Number one, he was bitter. Bitter because of the situations that he couldn't control that were imposed upon him. Number two, he was angry. Angry because he didn't know what to do with all those emotions. And number three, he was violent. You say, well, how do you know he was violent? Well, here's the deal. They told them to keep them safe. They didn't say put them in the inner part of the prison and put them in stocks. And so if you look at the history of what prisons looked like back then, it was kind of cavish looking. And the inner cell was the bottom layer or the bottom surface of all the jail. And all the human waste and everything in the place ran downhill. And so we've got the two apostles, and Timothy's in here somewhere. They don't ever mention him, but he's here. And they've got him down in this inner cell. They've got him in, in, sitting in human waste and putting their legs in stocks. And stocks, what they did for you is they contorted your body to be in a position that wasn't normal. And so I'm thinking this jailer was kind of messed up. And such were some of us. So if you can relate to, or you know somebody who is, or who was bitter, angry, violent, couldn't handle the memories. If you know someone like that, raise your hand. Yeah, see, I, I'm, before I was kind of doing this because I was trying to help you out, that's, now I'm testifying. That was me. Actually, I'm a little bit of the slave girl too. And so it's a combination of things that happened to us. But in each one of those situ- situations, whether it was Lydia, whether it was a slave girl, or was it the jailer, Jesus steps in and does a miraculous saving work. You know, one of the things, um, one of the things that drives me, I've been in student ministry for over 40 years, fixing to leave, um, this is my last graduating class. Fixing to leave to do another part of the ministry of the church. But one of the things that drives me is I remember what it was like not to have hope. I remember that. I remember what it was like not to have love. I remember what it was like not to have someone 
who did community with me, not because I had money or drugs or alcohol, but just because it was me. Because that's what the world has to offer for you. And it's interesting, we go running to that instead of running to Jesus. And you go, oh no, 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 we're First Baptists. Remember now, all of us here are Christ followers, right? Evidence demands a verdict. Or if you've read that book by Josh McDowell. But it does. It demands a decision. So we have Lydia, we have the slave girl, and we have the jailer. And then Paul and Silas and Timothy and whoever else is hanging out with them, Luke's obviously there because he wrote this, decide to continue traveling and doing what they do. And so the next story is they start to visit certain groups of people that are registered next. And it says in verse 17, I'm going to start in verse 2, and it says, And Paul went in, as it was his custom, on the third Sabbath day, uh, I'm sorry, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them with the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great number, as did a great number of devoted Greeks and not so few of leading women. So you, he's in the synagogue. That's what they always do. He goes to the synagogue. He's asked to stay, obviously, two more weeks because he's there three weeks, it says. And he continues to do this. And some of the people in the synagogue accepted Christ because that's what he preached. And then a lot of Greeks and then it says, not so few of leading women, so a lot of women. And I got to say this for, for women on women's behalf. They are much more in tune with the Savior than we are. Their spirits are more leaning to Christ. We men, we've got to fix it, right? We've got to be in charge. I mean, I don't know about you, situations come into my life and come into uh, our family and immediately my problem-solving things start happening instead of my sovereignty things start happening. Instead of me saying, hey, I need to give it all to the Lord no matter what it is, I start going, well, it's this and this and this and this and this. And I'm, I'm supposing some of you men can relate to me about that. So then, after he went to Thessalonica, they went to a place called Berea, which is um, amazing to me to read this. This is chapter 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night by Berea. The reason why is because they're being run out of town again. They went to the synagogue. They got mad at him. They're ready to kill him, so they kick him out of town again. Or actually, the brothers send him out of town. It says, when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than the Thessalonians. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if there were things were so. And many of them, therefore, believed not, uh, not a few Greeks, but women of high standard as well as men. And so again, the gospel is preached in the synagogue. People are saved. Greeks are saved. Gentiles are saved. And praise God, I don't know if any of you are Jewish in here. I'm not. Praise God, Gentiles get to be saved. Because if it wasn't for that, we would, I wouldn't be here. If it was just for the Jews. 
And so what are the characteristics of these people? Well, number one, they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because when someone told them this, they got out the word of God, and they, which it was the Old Testament back then, the scriptures and the scrolls, and they got it out, and they started seeing if it was true, if it was right. Now, here's one thing I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't understand about the Jewish people. They had all the information they needed to accept Christ from the Old Testament. And yet, at every turn, they had to be proven that the gospel was truly the gospel. Now, I'll bring that back to us. We have everything we need and have needed to be Christ followers. And yet, for some reason, some of us have to be convinced. And the truth is there. And I realize it's the Holy Spirit that's opening our hearts and a way to salvation. But it's there. I think we'd be foolish to think that everybody is sitting here. I don't know how many people are in here. 200, maybe 250, 300. I don't know. That everybody here has accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. I think some of you are like Lydia. I think some of you students are like the slave girl and your parents are dragging you to church. Some of us are certainly like the jailer. We've had things imposed upon us whether it's abusive homes or bullying, come on. Get off Facebook. Get off Snapchat. You really worried about what people think about you? Think about what Jesus thinks about you. Who are you in Christ, not who are you online? Now, that's a whole different rant. But I think we get confused because we buy into what the world says we're supposed to be instead of what Jesus says we're supposed to be. So Thessalonians, the Bereans, and then the Athenians. And this is uh, chapter 17, verse 16. I'm just going to read this one verse. I could go on and on and on, but I'll run out of time. And I don't need to do that. Verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As he, was, as he saw the city was so full of idols. What are you provoked about? And what does it mean to be provoked? Being provoked means you're incited, that you're aggressive towards something, that you're passionate about something, that whatever it is in your life, um, um, I, am, I have been for the last 40 plus years passionate that students... First of all, accept Christ, and then that students learn God's word to such a point that when they leave our church, that they continue in church when they go to college. And when they get out of college, they get married and go to jobs, whatever they do, they continue to go to church and they become leaders in the church. That's what I'm provoked about. Another thing, and I think, I see Shannon sitting back there, and I think he would agree with me. Pastor Jeff was in our last one. One thing that our staff is provoked about we're provoked because we see our family. And by the way, if you, if you are a minister, usually you're not by your family. Some are lucky to be that way. My family's in Oklahoma and California and kind of all over the place. And so wherever you serve, that's your family, literally. 
That's why churches don't really understand all that dynamic. But so I see my family. Chasing after things and making things valuable that will only lead to destruction and bankruptcy spiritually. And I am provoked the simple fact that we, I'm going to start a rant here in just a minute, but here's the deal. One hour and a half on Sunday morning is not enough to be a Christ follower. That is not enough. I don't know where all of a sudden we get this new paradigm of church. Hour and a half on Sunday morning, and that's all. And I'm a follow, faithful follower of Christ. Bull. I could think of some other words for that. That's crazy. These people gave their life to be Christ followers. Shannon, Shannon, after he got out of the engineering field, he's given his life for the gospel. I've given my life for the gospel. And here's the deal. It goes much further than us being staff members. As a Christ follower, just a layperson, just an engineer, or a housewife, or a, a, just a great mama and daddy, you're supposed to be giving your life for the gospel. Why do you think it is so important for you to act the way Christ did for your children so they'll grow up and see the same thing? So it won't be a contradiction. So you won't be using the wall as the, sta- the world as the standard. But you're using God's word as the standard. And Paul looked over Athens and he was provoked. And I I kind of would like you to go ahead and read the rest of that story about Athens because he came across some things and said, hey, by the way, that God that's unknown to you, hey, I know him. I know him. So what are you provoked about? I'm afraid, and I don't know you guys, I know some of you, but I'm afraid you're not provoked about anything except the things the world has to offer you. And it's going to cause you bankruptcy, and it's going to cause your family to be destroyed spiritually because of it. Because there are so many other things that are so much more important than church. Now, I'm supposed to say that, right? I'm the youth guy. So church is important, right? Even if I wasn't the youth guy, I'd still be in church. I don't know what happened over the years that we've, we think that being a Christian is just convenience. And we think that suffering is not supposed to be allowed in our, in our lives. But it is. We are people of suffering. And I know we're not going to be put, well, I mean, I don't know, some of these teenagers, I don't know, children, but right now, no one's going to come kill me because I'm standing up here and preaching the gospel and preaching the word. That's not going to happen. It's happening in some countries, though. They're being thrown in jail and they're having guns put to their head and said, you proclaim Christ one more time and we're going to kill you. And they proclaim Christ and they kill them. They throw them in the inner parts of the prison and they put them in stocks. They, it's suffering. And for some reason, we think suffering's wrong. The God of Fort Mill is comfort and what people think about us. I see Kimber sitting over here. Kimber knows me because Kimber was one of our students many, many years ago. 
I don't care what you think if you follow Christ. It doesn't matter. Uh, the early service, I went haywire and did some weird junk because I, didn't, I don't know the technology like Pastor Jeff does. And they all laughed and it was a comedy of errors and, and I don't care. The gospel was preached. It doesn't matter. And so we're going to do something that you're not used to. Students are sometimes used to this. If you come to Uprising, you go to camp with us or come to a youth event, we do this. And the reason we do this is, number one, it's less confronting than having a walk-down invitation, which you guys would really freak out about, right? And so here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And there's a reason for this, so please do that. So I want to challenge you. Here's the challenge. How many of you are Lydia? Not were like Lydia, but are like Lydia. So you have a presence of spirituality and religion, but you really don't know Christ. Or how many of you are like the slave girl? Who was, for none of her own maybe, but maybe some of her own were caught up with addictions and lived in dark places spiritually and didn't follow Christ. Or the jailer who was bitter, angry, violent. Not sometimes of his own doing, but he needed Christ. Or maybe you're the opposite of Paul and you have not been provoked in your spirit. There's a problem with that if you're a Christ follower. Now, if you were a real Southern Baptist church, we'd have the music and just as I am, 14 verses when you'd come down front and the pastor would meet you and all that kind of stuff. But we don't do-